0: I'm going to be giving an introduction today to humanistic approaches in this course we've covered behavioral approaches managerial approaches and now humanistic approaches now humanistic approaches have some basic beliefs this is the most common type of classroom management and discipline approach that you will find in the literature on education Um, They often have names like uh, Sue Smith's Holistic Discipline or uh, Abbott and Costello's um, Laughing Classroom. These approaches are often tied to a specific person, and they are often presented as something new, special, unique, that this person has discovered or developed or invented, but if you look at them, they have some basic beliefs and they are all very similar. Uh, I can evaluate some as better than others, but they are humanistic approaches. If you see a category system that says there are eight approaches to classroom management and discipline, or 22 or whatever, usually what's been broken down into all those extra categories Is the multitude of humanistic approaches all right basic beliefs how can you know you've got a humanistic approach when you see one the belief is that behavior is caused by external factors a lot of emphasis on changing external factors to change behavior so look for emphasis on changing external factors behavior is motivated by needs In humanistic approaches, you will hear the word needs a lot and related words such as motivation. Teachers should help children develop. Humanistic approaches focus on helping children mature, helping children to gain such things as self-control, helping children develop. Now, if you remember, our behavioral approach focused on increasing or decreasing specific behaviors in an individual or a group, not on self-control, maturation, uh, child development. You remember the managerial approach focused on setting up and operating a classroom to minimize misbehavior and make learning easy, convenient, and rewarding. Minimum time in peripheral activities, maximum time in task, you get the general picture. Humanistic approaches focus on what can we do to help the child develop or mature. Different shift in focus. Humanistic approaches put a lot of emphasis on understanding behavior They believe understanding behavior is essential to changing it. So if you get people telling you, well, you should really study the child's home life, they're coming from a humanistic point of view. Somehow if you understand the child's home life, you will be better able to uh, help him mature and change his behavior and behave in more productive ways. So we're going to understand behavior. In a humanistic approach, you first understand behavior by studying child psychology. Again, this is a psychology-based approach to classroom management and discipline. You need to understand children, and you understand children by studying child psychology. Now, that's debatable. Many people take that for granted, consider it's just really obvious. You could argue that the best way to uh, understand what goes on in classrooms would be to study sociology, not the psychology of individuals, but the nature of groups or social psychology. But humanistic approaches emphasize studying child psychology and focusing on the psychology of the child in question. Analyzing the problem behavior. Well, we understand the child's psychology and what's going on with him, and we analyze the behavior in terms of that, and we look for causes, and we learn lose look for reasons and motives and what the child is trying to gain through this behavior. Humanistic approaches also seek information about the motivation and needs behind the behavior, that question, why? Why is the child doing this? What in the child's background or experiences is leading him to uh, scream and yell and kick and fall down on the floor? What's going on? Analyze this behavior and its causes. Now, once we understand all of that, we're going to try to change the behavior we know our child psychology, we understand what's going on with this kid, we've analyzed the behavior. First of all, we try to reduce or meet the needs behind it. If the child is doing attention-seeking behaviors, people who follow a humanistic approach will say, find ways to give the child attention. Uh, If they're a little more uh, in tune with what actually goes on in classrooms, they will talk to you about appropriate ways to find uh, situations to give the child appropriate attention. So you reduce or meet the needs behind it. Kid needs attention, you give him attention. You try to substitute alternate behavior to meet the needs. Again, back to our kid who acts out in class because he's seeking attention. A humanistic approach will tell you that you need to find opportunities for him to stand up and perform for the class, or you need to make him the star of the class play. So you try alternate behaviors for being a class clown and saying inappropriate things in class for attention. You also seek to change problem behaviors by altering the environmental or psychological factor or helping the child cope with them. You find out that there are bad things in the home life, so you try to deal with the home life, Uh, or you have uh, parent education programs, or you uh, put the child in counseling. You help the child or by altering the environment or otherwise teaching the child to cope with the situation. You also try to promote the child's understanding and control of his own behavior. You deal with things such as anger management, helping the child understand what he or she can do uh, to handle anger other than hitting. So help the child understand his or her own behavior and alter it. Goals, needs, motivators. Again, with humanistic approaches, you often hear these kinds of terms: uh, need-based, motivated, uh, motivation. What is the what's the child's behavior coming from? What's inside his head? All right. Uh, Humanistic approaches will often have a list of goals or needs or motivators that underlie human behavior in general or children's behavior in particular. They tend to have some sort of theory of motivation and try to identify specific motivators. Now I'm going to show you Theodore Dreiker's Four Mistaken Goals of Behavior. This is uh, an old approach to child discipline. Um, It isn't really used very much. Um, I used to require the textbook as a uh, one of his books is, is sort of a, a classic, and it's just really so out of touch with modern life and what goes, really goes on in classrooms that it wasn't very helpful. In fact, sometimes it's uh, downright funny, some of the recommendations. But here's an example. Theodore Dreiker had four goals, mistaken goals of behavior. If you behave inappropriately or badly or whatever, it's because you've got some mistaken goal for your behavior. You're after something. All right. Undue attention. You're misbehaving because you want undue attention. To gain power. Attention, power. Revenge. Attention, power, revenge. To display inadequacy. In an earlier lecture we talked about learned helplessness. This would fit with Theodore Dreiker's uh, mistaken goal behind behavior. You're showing learned helplessness. You are displaying your inadequacy. Well, why on earth would you display your inadequacy? Well, if you make it clear that you're inadequate, people might not expect as much of you. Um, You might enjoy feeling like uh, a victim. You could get some pleasure in uh, Uh, mental pleasure in in feeling like you're just totally worthless, a lot lot of good anxiety in your stomach, and you might get other people to take care of you and do your work for you. All right? So that would be an example of a mistaken goal to display inadequacy resulting in learned helplessness. And it can be real inadequacy or assumed inadequacy. All right, Dreicher's system results in a grid. And I'm not going to go into this grid in great detail. I just want to show you how this particular system works as an example. You, uh, according to Dreikers, uh there are these four goals, attention, power, revenge, and a display of inadequacy. And then he divides people into some subcategories. Active, which means an active out, acting out kind of uh, approach. Active or passive. And then constructive or destructive. Some examples might be, let's see. If I am an active, destructive person who wants attention, I will possibly start a fight in the schoolyard or I will um, scream and yell at somebody and call them hurtful names. If I am active, destructive, and after revenge, I will catch someone who told on me to the teacher in the hall and shove him or her around and make threats. You get the general idea, Uh, passive destructive Let's see, passive destructive revenge might be a tattletale. So you can get the general idea of how you use the scheme to categorize different kinds of behaviors. There's also Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Generally, you can't get through college without becoming familiar with this. The idea is that this goes, our needs go from the bottom up, and we cannot really move to the next level until the lower level is satisfied. So as a human being, your first basic need is survival. Food, water, air, uh, shelter, uh, just the basics of life. Then you need safety. This might be sort of a psychological category, freedom from harm, uh, freedom from people in your life who are going to abuse you emotionally belongingness, fitting into a group, uh, a family, a nation. Uh, in your classroom, it would be Ms. McRae's third grade class. Self-esteem, thinking well of yourself. Self-actualization, this is supposed to be when you, uh, when you get up here, you, you're sort of a saint. You turn into a really uh, wonderful human being, and you uh, cut loose of the needs. You've had these needs satisfied. And you become a really wonderful person who sees everything from a um, moral and ethical 30,000 feet ceiling. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but y- you get the picture. Physiological, no harm, social ties, achievement, self-fulfillment in really uh, enriching ways. Uh, this just doesn't mean uh, having Bill Gates' income. It means... Uh, truth, beauty, justice, becoming a uh, productive member of society and helping your fellow man. So here's a hierarchy of needs. You obviously can use this in the classroom to analyze why a child might be uh, acting out. He's uh, awkward and has poor social skills, so he's probably got some problems right here in belongingness. So how can we deal with the environment? help him have better social skills and cope with his problems at this level. Uh, Here's another system, Keller's Four Dimensions of Motivation. Well, he says people are motivated by interest, by relevance, by expectancy, and by satisfaction. In the classroom you would appeal to kids curiosity you would appeal to their personal needs and goals you would uh, appeal to their need for success and control and you would appeal to their responses to rewards okay so here's the motivation and here's what you would do as a, a teacher this is the uh, part of your kid's psychology that you would appeal to. Other kinds of needs. These systems, you'll see other things. Novelty, newness, difference. Um, I mentioned previously in a, in, a, in another lecture that novelty gets old. Um, we do need novelty, all of us. We need variety. We need change. We need new things to catch our attention. but. One of the basic aspects of novelty is that it is new and different. And I gave the example, if, if your classroom is just one big circus day after day, that constant novelty itself becomes uh, wearing. People need a certain amount of stability and routine before they can appreciate novelty. Uh, stimulation. Intellectual stimulation, or visual, auditory stimulation. Affect, which means emotions. People need to have their emotions engaged in what they're doing. Competence. Children particularly are developing competence just as human beings. Anything you can do to help children develop competence meets some really important needs in their lives. Success and sex. Now, you may think this one is not you know, sort of like the others, but traditional Freudian psychology inter- interprets our sexuality as being the positive, life affirming, uh, generative part of our being, not just sexual intercourse. And uh, would therefore say that people need to find ways to develop that kind of uh, positive affirmative part of their life. So to have one older child take care of, mentor, nurture a younger child from that point of view would be part of that sexuality in the broadest sense. We all need that kind of generative need. Um, In terms of school children, you can also look at their maturation uh, before and during puberty and see that some of their inappropriate behavior is motivated by their growing sexual needs. So, here's a need. All right, now we've talked about humanistic approaches in general. In the next lecture, I was talking about a specific approach, which is William Glasser's.